How are you guys doing today? My name, <laughs> I got a fan base here. Listen, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Cliff Newton. I am the Framingham Campus Pastor. You, you can call me Pastor Cliff. You can call me Pastor Belt Buckle. But whatever you, whatever you call me, just follow it up with Servant Leader of the Framingham family. So I just want to say good morning to Framingham right now. How are you guys doing? I miss you so much. I snuck in there. You didn't see me. I was there this morning. I left my wife, I left my baby a little early so I could see you guys. I got to see the building. I had to pray over the day. Listen, I want to say hi to TC down in those Connect Red seats at the Regal Cinemas. Good morning, Tri-County, Regal Cinemas, Bellingham, Massachusetts. If you're around the area, you got to find yourself there for a Sunday service. And Ashland, I just want to say, I haven't been here since the 70s. It looks like you've updated the place. You've done a good job. So good morning to you guys. I'm so happy to be here. So happy to be here. And online, we are so happy to have you. You're, you might be a little more comfortable than us physically, but I'm telling you, if you want to be more comfortable spiritually, find one of our locations. We cannot wait to see you. Engage in the chat. Let our team minister to you. We're so happy to have you guys this morning. I cannot go for, further without saying how much Pastor Derek and Pastor Stacy have met in my life. It's easy to thank them for the opportunity to speak here today, but that's about number 30 on the list. Yeah, yeah. I want to thank you, Pastor Derek and Pastor Stacy, for uh, being family to my family. Wow. I want to thank you guys for always being there. Yeah. That's number one and number two. Yeah. And then I just want to say to everybody here that Pastor Derek and Pastor Stacy are the same in every single environment that they're in. Right. They, are, they are the same in every single environment that they are in. Right. Can you say the same about yourself? Because I know that's what we're striving to be, my wife and I. And we got some work to be, but I'm telling you what, Pastor Derek and Pastor Stacy mean so much to us. So thank you guys for your leadership to us. Can we give it up for your senior pastors here? Come on. Let's go. They mean a lot to a lot, right, Pastor Josh? Come on. And I have to honor my beautiful bride. She's here with us. Can we make her, can we make her feel awkward and just stare at her right here? And if we can put a picture of my family up, I got to see which one that we chose. I got to see which one that we chose. Is it up here? Where's the camera? I don't even know where to look anymore. I told you, I haven't been here since the 70s. Okay, there we go. That is my bride, Nicole Lynn Newton. That is Harper Grace Newton. And do we have a couple pictures of Harper right now just so we can soften the crowd a little bit? Yeah, she loves her corn muffins. She loves her corn muffins. Listen, I have always, all right, we got one more. That's our dog, Marty McFly, all right? Just so you guys can get to know who the Newton family is in 30 seconds. Listen, I, have, I love being a dad. Oh, my gosh. 16 months in, I love it. But I'll tell you what, God was preparing me long beforehand. You guys are like, he's about to say something super spiritual. No, he was training me with dad jokes. That's what God was doing. And what I call Christian dad jokes, I call them Abba jokes. And so I want to kick it off. Every time PD gives me this opportunity, sorry, Pastor Derek, that you're learning this for the first time. Every time he gives me this opportunity, I'm just going to open up with a couple ABBA jokes. Yeah. All right? And listen, if you've ever heard a dad joke, you're allowed to roll your eyes. You're allowed to roll your eyes. So the first one starts in the form of a question. Who do you think was the most financially savvy person in all of Scripture? Tell your neighbor. Who do you think? John, John, what do you think? Tell your kids. Listen, if you don't know the Bible, if you think Dave Ramsey's a gospel, like just say something. <laughs> Who do you think is the most financially savvy person in the Bible. I'll tell you what I think. I think it was Pharaoh's daughter. She went down to the bank of the Nile. She took out a little prophet. 
No? No? Let the eye rolling commence. If that went over your head, that's a little bit of Moses right there. Listen, I won't, go, I won't go too deep on the next one. I won't go too deep. This is easy. Framingham, you know how cheesy I am. This next one's a layup. This next one's a layup. How long did Cain hate his brother? How long? What do you think? What do you think, Leslie? How long? As long as he was able. Okay, guys. Time to exit greet as fast as possible. I'm going to give you guys a couple every time I'm up here, but that's it for today, I promise. Can we, how many people have been here for the Summer Slam series? Give me a show of hands. Come on, we got to get alive here this morning. How, what a great job Pastor Josh did with worship. What a great job Pastor Jim did with relationship. And next week, Pastor Chris Mendez, brother, friend, and mentor of mine, OG campus pastor of Framingham, he is what got it all started. He's going to be teaching you on lordship, all right? Somebody say, holy ship, something's going on up here. There's a lot going on in Connect this, there's a lot going on in Connect this summer. My ship today and your ship today is leadership. Can you guys say that? Say leadership for me. Leadership. I want you to leave here today with two things. I want you to leave here with a better understanding about how Jesus wants you to lead. And I want you to leave here with a game plan to grow as a leader. And so I'm going to say, that's what I want, but that's what you're going to leave here with if you listen to what God has for you. Yes. Now, there are, let's get right to it. There are a lot of leadership styles, but there are only two leadership hearts, and you're going to have to choose one over time. There's a lot. I'm going to tell you some of the styles. There's autocratic and democratic, right? You know, authoritative, more participative. Then there's kind of like a, a pace-setting leaders and coaching leaders, laissez-faire, which is just the French's fancy way of saying hands-off Leaders, all right, and you're in this room right now. And maybe as you are in different environments, you have those different leadership styles, and that's a good thing. But there's two leadership hearts that you need to find those styles under. There's the self-serving leadership heart, and there's the servant leadership heart. And you guys need to do yourself a favor today, and don't just amen the stuff that sounds good. You need to amen the stuff that doesn't. Here's an example. Here's an, exam here's an example. You have pride. Say, amen. amen. You lean forward. You nod your head. You prepare for extraction and progress. That's what you need. So I'm not saying don't amen the good stuff, but I'm also saying when God opens your heart and tells you something, don't just fold your hands and look around the room and say, he's talking to somebody. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me too. That's the best part because God has a message for every single one of us. That's why we're here on Sundays. Get in relationship, hear a message from God. So if you had it all figured out, he wouldn't have a message for you. So don't wait for those proper amens. I want to hear some improper amens this morning. Here we go. We all got work to do. Self-serving leadership heart. I'm going to give you a few things just so you can keep tracking here. Believe, you believe that for self-serving, you believe that you're the reason for your success. Remember, that could be you, and that's okay. What's not okay if, is if we stay here over time. We're going to cultivate our relationship with Christ, and we're going to move over to servant leadership. Uh, you think positive. You look out for your own interests. Uh, are, you, are you not praying for that house that you're about to buy? You're looking out for your own interests. All right? Are you, not, are you not praying for that job? Are you not seeking godly counsel on that new job that you're applying for? Then you're, you're looking out for your own interests. Make your own reality. That's another aspect of a self-serving leader. Um, you sell yourself. You promote yourself to others. 
And listen, some of the times, we, so I'm not saying you don't love Jesus when you do these things, but you don't realize that your actions speak louder than your words. So now let's look at the servant leadership heart. This is what Jesus does. Theologians call it an inversion principle. You'll hear around connect upside down kingdom. Jesus takes the leadership that you just heard and he flips it on its head. This is what servant leadership is. You do not promote yourself. You walk by faith and trust. To be great, you need to serve. You've heard this. And to be first, you need to be last. The leader serves the people. That's servant leadership. That's what Jesus wants to showcase for you. The self-serving heart, though it can be goodwilled to start, ultimately leads to pride, power, and suppression. The servant leadership heart, which is God-willed, leads to, always leads to humility, service, and submission. This was great. This was really cool the other day. As I was typing this, this aspect of the message up, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, use the world's tone in Scripture. So I said, and by the way, when I say the, the, the term world today, that's just speaking of anyone that's not prioritizing Jesus, anyone that doesn't call him on him as Lord and Savior. And you, you may be there here today, and I just want to say thank you for coming. That might, that's one of the biggest steps you'll ever take. It's just getting yourself into the building. So thank you for being here. But when I say that term world, that's what I'm referring to, is that you're influenced more by the world than you are God's kingdom. So this is what the Holy Spirit says to me. Use the world's tone. So I look at the scriptures. To be great, you need to serve. To be first, you need to be last. They question a couple things. This is what Jesus says. No, no suggestion. He exclaims and proclaims, to be great, you need to serve. And to be first, you need to be last. Where the world puts question marks, God puts exclamation points. And I want today, I want to put the exclamation point on you as a leader. And so before we talk about the greatest leader of all time, you, you know where we're headed. Before we talk about the greatest leader of all time, let's talk about some other goats. All right? Some other greatest of all time. Who is the greatest basketball player of all time? MJ. MJ. See, th we're not being biased this morning. <laughs> Chamberlain, Russell, Kobe, Shet like there has been some awesome basketball players. Framingham, come on. Yep. But Michael Jordan's the best that's ever played and no one will ever touch him. Yep. Who's the best? I, I know we're not in Canada, but do we know what hockey is? Okay, who, I, Pastor Jim down at TC, you'd love hockey, baby. Listen, who is the best hockey player to ever live? Wayne Gretzky. Who said Bobby Orr? Listen, who said Bobby Orr? I love Bobby Orr, but we're not being biased right now. Stop ruining the point, whoever you were. Jeff, security. Security. Listen, I actually don't know who said that. That's cool, but the lights. You got off of it. You got away with it. That's good. It's Wayne Gretzky, the great one. There has been, I loved, but growing up, I loved Mario Lemieux, number 66, Pittsburgh Penguins. Loved him. There has been some awesome, dynamic hockey players, but no one has touched or will touch Wayne Gretzky. We're not going to get into football because I'm, I'm a Miami Dolphin fan. We're not going to get in. We're not going to have any debates here this morning. Let's move on. Stop the booze. Listen, it's the same with Jesus because for thousands of years, there has been some dynamic leaders there has been just absolute world-class leaders in faith, uh, in mathematics, science, uh, philosophy. But nobody can touch the numbers that Jesus has put up. Right. Right. Jesus' numbers, 36, 12, and 2. Nobody's going to touch that. 36, he was on a 36-month leadership tour with 12 highly uneducated men. And two millennium later, we're still training, teaching, living, and loving his ways of doing leadership. Nobody will touch that. There were great leaders before. There's going to be great leaders again, but nobody 
is going to touch those numbers. Now, the disciples weren't just uneducated. I'm kind of mean to them. I'm like, they're highly uneducated. But God was mean to them first because this is what he said. Listen, the Greek, in, in the different translations, you'll see unschooled, unlearned, ignorant. The Greek is idiotes. And that's where we get our word for idiot. So I was not mean first, all right, disciples? Listen, but they weren't just, they weren't just uneducated. They were highly annoying. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest, Jesus? Jesus is heading to Passover, Holy Week. Things are heating up. It's over their head, but he's told them what's about to happen. Who's the greatest? Who has, ever, who has a kid that's ever asked, are we there yet? Any mom and dad out there, are we there it is? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? That's what Jesus is dealing with here. Annoying children. Who's the, they're talking to the greatest leader of all time. Who's the greatest? And this is what he does. They, they ask him all week, and they ask him all the way up to the night of his betrayal. And he does not rebuke them, which he has had to do. Good leaders have to rebuke from time to time. But he more often redirected. And he didn't say a word. He just grabbed the basin. He grabbed the cloth. He grabbed the water. And he put, his, put their heel in the palm of his hand. And then with the other hand, he started washing their feet. He took a lowly position of a servant, the king of the world, and started washing the disciples' feet, showing true humility, true service. Now, disciples, how are you going to ask who's the greatest when I'm the greatest and I'm down here? Now, listen, I, I know that everybody in here is wondering the same thing. Who gets to be this, the lucky guy today, the lucky gal today that gets to take off my cowboy boots and wash my feet with all locations watching? So there's a belt buckle under a seat right now, and that's you. Come on up. No, listen. We're going to leave the, we're going to leave the boots on today. All right. I, I'm just picturing myself reclining while Pastor Josh is washing my feet. I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Listen, you're not asking yourself that, but you probably are asking yourself, so why does this guy have a belt buckle on? So I want to give you in 35 seconds or less, why I wear a belt buckle. Is that, is that all right with you guys? All right. I just met Mike and Stacy this morning and they asked me and I didn't tell them the answer because I said it's in the message. I said, I'm not going to answer that. Their guess was Alabama. Any other guesses out here? Texas. Texas? All right. Listen, I, <laughs> I'm from here. We'll get to that in a second. I was in love with hip hop and rap in the mid nineties. All right. You're like, where is this going? Get this 35 seconds over with quickly. <laughs> listen, Framingham knows me very well, but this might, some of this might be new to you guys too. I was in love with hip hop and rap. I get accepted to University of South Florida down in Tampa. And so my dad and I get a road trip. We get in his 98 Dodge Stratus, six-disc CD changer. You kids have no idea what I'm talking about. But that was awesome. That was state-of-the-art. You could put six CDs in at one time, and you can pick whichever one. Oh, my goodness gracious. It was awesome. And uh, I had in there a notorious B.I.G. My dad loves the Beatles, and I'm putting in Biggie, Biggie Smalls is the illest. My style is played out like Arnold and I'm what you talking about, Willis. That's what my dad had to listen to. That's what my dad had to listen to. So he, dry, he flies back. He leaves the old Jeep with me. and Oh, no, we took the Stratus down. We had, the Jeep's another story. So he goes back home, all right? And then he comes back three, four months later. And I have tighter jeans than these on, so you're welcome. I have a belt buckle. I have boots. I have a hat. And I'm like, Dad, no. He doesn't even recognize. Dad, I'm over here. Dad, Dad. She thinks my tractor's sexy. It really turns her on. 
And that's why I don't worship here. Listen, this is a true story. And so I didn't just, but here's the best part. I didn't just change my musical tune. I changed my spiritual tune. I grew up in church, but I came, I went down there and I was alone and God wrapped his arms around me. I'm sitting on Pier 60, Clearwater Beach, Florida, Gulf of Mexico, if anyone's ever been there. And he's like, you're going to leave your anger, you're going to leave your sensitivity, you're going to leave your impatience right here, and you're going to pick up the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm still a work in progress, but I'm a far better godly man than I was at that point in my life. And there's no doubt about it. Now I came back to Westboro. I was a wannabe cowboy and I was a wannabe husband. Now I wasn't great in the dating scene because I wanted to get tied down, I just couldn't find the right lady. And then I met my beautiful wife, Nicole. The best part about, no, this is not the best part about you, baby, but you know what I'm saying. Listen, the best part, I guess, at that time, before I knew she was my wife, is that she's been riding horses for over 10 years. She was roping and riding live calves. She was shooting off horseback. She was barrel racing. How is that not hot to anybody in here? Oh, my goodness. I'm literally sweating. It's been a long time, babe. That was a long time ago, but you still make me sweat. This is good. This is good. Oh, my goodness. So I didn't just get to meet my wife that summer. I got, to learn about, I got to learn about life that summer. And it was that summer where I learned that there was a point to cleaning the hooves of a horse. We, we met up at a barn. We got, to, we got to know each other up at a barn. We actually owned a couple horses together. Not anymore. <laughs> that is a lifestyle that uh, we might have back, but not right now. We're going to raise a family, not horses. Uh, so I learned that there was a point to cleaning the horse's hooves. We're going to get back to that in a second. Who in here has ever owned a horse? Not ridden a horse. Who has ever owned a horse? A couple people. Who has ever ridden a horse? A lot more people. Now, if you've only ridden a horse on vacation, put your hands down. Almost everybody. Let me tell you that there's a big difference between riding a horse on vacation and riding a horse at a barn. Well, here's a term that we use uh, when you're on vacation. It's a bomb-proof horse. Like, they're trained to follow the instructor wherever they go. You're actually not riding. You can, if you're supposed to hit them on the left, you hit them on the right, they're going to do whatever the instructor's doing. They're not going to listen to you. You guys tracking? That's, that's not riding. I did that in Hawaii. I loved it, but I wasn't riding a horse. I was just on a horse that was following somebody else. Now, listen, knowing how to ride a horse is different. You'd come to the barn. So this is what I learned, that, that there was a big part of riding, and that was serving the horse. You would come to the barn, and you couldn't just hop on the horse. You went in. Honestly, the first thing you did, you talked to the horse. That might sound weird. You put your arm around the horse. You'd hug him. You'd pat him. You'd say, attaboy, you did a great job. And they haven't done anything. They've been standing in a stall all day. And you're just like, great job, chief. That was the name of, the name of one of our horses. Like, you've done a great job. He hasn't done anything. And then you take a brush and you start cleaning the horse. Every time, even when you're not going to ride, you brush your horse and you clean it. And then you take the hoof pick. And you get that 1,500-pound animal, you lift up one leg at a time, and you start cleaning the hooves. Why do you do that? Because if there's a rock in there, if there's something packed in there, then that horse, the horse is going to get hurt. Imagine, Pastor Josh, you got something under your shoe. I hop on your back, you got to run a mile. What's that looking like? That's not looking good. All right, you're going to be limping for a couple days. You're going to be cut. You're going to be bruised. You clean the hooves because you're taking care of the horse. And then you put the saddle pad on before the saddle to give them a little cushion. And then you put the saddle on and the girth and the stirrups and all that stuff. I'm probably leaving. It's been a few years. I'm probably leaving some stuff out. And then you put the bridle on and you get the ears tenderly through the, the, the holes. And then you have the bit, which is your, the, kind of the steering wheel, that metal piece. You put it, their teeth stop at a certain point and you put it behind their teeth. 
Then you hop on. And you know what happens? That horse trusts you because you took care of it. Now, it takes time. It's not like a one-time thing. But because you're taking care of the horse, you're building a bond with the horse. You're building a relationship. There's trust there. And so guess what is different between riding the horse and being on one? If you're on one on vacation and the instructor goes away and that horse and you find yourself in a sticky situation, that horse is going to bail because you don't know how to lead the horse. But what happens when you love the horse and care for the horse, you're going to get up on a cliff and you're going to need to get out of a precarious situation. That horse is going to trust you. That horse is going to listen to you. You tell that horse to jump over a log or a rock in the woods, it's going to listen to you. You trust it and it trusts you. Now, I wasn't very good at riding, but I, I learned that it wasn't a p- position on the horse as much as it was a position in the heart. Yeah. Now, I was able to take this lesson with me everywhere I've been since. It's not going to be your title. It's not going to be your position that make you a great leader. It's going to be how you serve those under you. That was the point to cleaning the hooves that summer. And that was the point to Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Jesus is showing that you don't focus on a leadership position, who is the greatest. You focus on a heart position of, I love you. I got you. That's what Jesus was showing. And Pastor Jim in Tri-County, he was not teaching them how to have a small group about washing feet. I just wanted to get that out of the way. All right? Because I doubt Thomas would go. Peter would deny at least three times that he didn't get the texts. John would love it, but he'd probably be the only one there. And then James, well, he had an android, so he was looking for another group. But listen, that wasn't the point, Pastor Jim. It's not all, he didn't want them to start a foot-washing small group. That would get pretty ugly in a hurry. What Jesus wanted them to do was show humility. Because he's saying that I'm the Lord of hosts, and I'm holding your heel. And what he said there was, I, your, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. Now you must go wash others. They probably didn't wash another foot their entire calling, but that's not what he was asking them to do. It was to serve other people as you lead other people. Jesus was showing that leadership is serving, and serving is leading. And before the foot washing ever took place, Jesus tried to help his apostles and followers with key principles of leadership, mainly through humility, because what we're always battling is pride, right? So he mainly goes humility. And so I want to I paraphrase a scripture from Luke, and where I leave off, God's going to pick up, okay? We're going to start at a dinner party, all right? Jesus was invited by a leading Pharisee to a dinner party. It's time for everybody to eat. He sees everybody elbowing each other out of the way for the seats of honor at the table, all right? Just like you have at a wedding, there were seats of honor at these, at these houses. And the, the closest you were to the head of the table, the more, the more status you had. And so Jesus sees everybody elbowing to get into these seats that they haven't earned, they don't deserve, they haven't been exalted by God, they've been exalted by man. So they're choosing their seats, and Jesus stops them all. He doesn't just teach his disciples. He teaches everybody there. And he says, listen, just like at a dinner like tonight, if you come in here and you take the head table, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. The host of the dinner is going to come in, and he's going to ask you to move. And then you're going to go, And you're going to look at, and all the other seats are filled. And now you have to walk all the way down, you know, across the table, maybe to the kids' table, to the lowest seat. And that's humiliation. And Jesus is saying if you do it the other way, it's humility. And so let's pick it up there in God's word. Luke 14. This is 10 and 11. This is the message version. 
Jesus says, when you are invited to dinner, instead, sit at the last place first. Then the host could very well say, friend, come up to the front. That will give the dinner guest something to talk about. What I'm saying is, if you walk around all high and mighty, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. The verse in the NIV that you're probably more familiar with, verse 11, is those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I want to ask you now, who's flat on their face? Don't raise your hand. But tell somebody. Get into a small group. Invite somebody for coffee. And move from transparency to vulnerability, just like Pastor Jim talked about last week. That's what you have to start doing. Because if you're not flat on your face now, if you continue to, to exalt yourself and have pride, the fall is coming. And so get in touch with somebody. Get in a relationship with somebody. Because you don't choose your place. God does. I want to share a couple things. If you choose self-serving leadership over servant leadership, there will be consequences. And you can thank me because there's probably about 50 of these. I chose two. All right? I love you guys. All right? I'm not going to berate you this morning, but these two scriptures will speak loud enough for themselves. You guys ready? All right. Say consequences so I can have a drink of water. <laughs> Listen, here's a consequence. If you choose pride over humility, here's a consequence. If you choose uh, leading yourself over leading others, that you're going to give up status with God. How do I know that? Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. Paul is saying, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? Because if I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I'm ministering to a brother right now who is finally awakened. He's finally realized that he has had a gigantic fear of man and he is ready to start back his fear of God. He grew up in the church and there's no doubt that he loves the Lord, but he hasn't been prioritizing him. He's been focusing on pleasing people, and this might be where you are right now. He's been focusing on pleasing people to make himself feel better. And God's telling you right now, you're going to give him your status. So my brother's ready to get his status back with God. And my question is, are you? Another consequence, your faith will be compromised. John 5 tells us, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another? but you do not seek the glory that comes from God. He's like, do you believe in the same God that I believe in? The same God that's teaching us servant leadership, unconditional love, humility, service? How can you if you're accepting people's glory over his? That's similar to unforgiveness, right? You have the right at some point to say, are you saved to someone who is going to choose to never forgive somebody? Because you have to internalize God's forgiveness. And it might not be today or tomorrow, but there's going to be a point where you're going to have to forgive everybody in your life. God's word is clear. There are always consequences for our actions spiritually and practically. And it's clear that Jesus shows a radical, beautiful way to lead people through service, humility, and love. But even understanding that, even internalizing that, and being on board with it only gets us halfway. We have to, we will put a lid on our leadership if we think it starts with others. So now that we've internalized servant leadership, I want to go super practical with you guys. I want to give you the big idea for today, and I want you guys to start taking some notes. Because this isn't something we're going to solve now, but you're going to take these notes home tonight. You're going to pray about them before bed. You're going to wake up tomorrow, and you're going to have a, a better 
week as a leader, a father, a husband, a mother than you did last week. But that's on you. I'm going to tell you whether you do it or not is on you. So I want you guys to take notes. We're going to get very practical here. Here's the big idea. You cannot lead others if you cannot lead yourself. And so how many of us right now are leading other people goodwilled, but they're not leading themselves properly? I'm going to put, I'll say it in a different way with a little more meat. Your potential to lead others is always a direct result to how you lead yourself. Leadership does not start with a team. It does not start with other people. It starts with you. Remember, it's your heart that defines your leadership. So here are three keys to leading yourself. Uh, You have to develop a leadership identity. You have to know you're a leader. You You have to define some leadership initiatives. We need a game plan, guys. We need to get going on this stuff. And then we're going to determine your inputs. It's it's super important what we consume on the day-to-day. And you have a choice. Nobody's making you do those things. So we're going to break those right down right now, starting with develop your leadership identity. So here's a quick question. How How many in here are leaders right now, currently? All right, great. 15, 20, that's what I was hoping. Because uh, I'm trying to tell you right now that you are all leaders. Because here's what I know. Leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. So you are in a vital leadership role, mom or dad. You are in a vital leadership role, husband or wife, friend, sister, team lead, small group leader, friend. You are in a vital leadership role right now, and your leadership matters. You need to hear it. You need to feel it, believe it, internalize it. Because that's the problem is we don't take our leadership seriously. We basically say, I'm not a leader, which we just showed by show of hands. We say, maybe we say we're a future leader. That's not going to get you there. Maybe you, you feel like you're a junior leader. None of that, that process will hold you back from, what, from leading how God intends you to lead. I'm telling you right now because I've experienced it. You don't think that I have felt like a junior leader. About a year and a half, two years ago, I've, I started being invited into tighter, more intimate pastoral circles. And I'm telling you, with, from PD on down, the, people, the leaders we have in this church, the pastors we have in this church are Kentucky Derby award-winning horses. Okay? They know what they're doing. The wisdom was infinite, but I would still leave some meetings inept, telling myself that I'm uneducated. And I had to go back to God's word because the devil would say that I was a donkey. And he'd actually use a different word. <laughs> he says, I'm a donkey when I'm sitting in this room with these, these award-winning horses. But you know what God tells me? He says that I am called. He says that I am chosen. He says that I am justified, glorified, that I have the right to minister the new covenant. He says, I made fishermen pastors. I can make a landscaper one too. That's what I had to tell myself. That's what I had to tell myself to say, I do belong here. I am a leader, and I'm here to tell you that you are a leader too. You don't have to wait for anybody to tell you right now. God is telling you that you are a leader, that you have influence. He gave, us, he gave it to us in the garden, and he gave it to us on the mountain. You have influence. But you can't lead others until you can lead yourself. So I want to ask again. You have a second chance. Who in here is a leader? Every single hand up at every location. Tri-County, you're a leader. Listen, Ashlyn, why don't you do me a favor and tell Framingham, say, Framingham, you're all leaders. One, two, three. Framingham, we can't hear you. This is going to be awkward for us. Why don't you tell Tri-County, you're all leaders. One, two, three.
you're out there. <laughs> In Tri-County, why didn't you tell Ashland, and we're just going to absorb it spiritually, that one, two, three, you're all leaders. Are you getting the point? When you see yourself as a leader, it changes your posture, your confidence, how you interact with others, and how other people see you in a room. So you can change this right now. I'm hoping just that affirmation right there, you are a changed person. You are not a junior anything. You are not sort of anything. You're a daughter to the king. You are a son of the king, and he has given you responsibility and influence. You are a leader. Number two, we're going to define your initiatives. This is your game plan. So now that we know we're a leader, you need to define what are you going to do to be a better leader? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not a great leader, but I'm a growing one. And we all have room to grow. And if you're anything like me, you are not easy to lead. I love you, baby. I'm sure I am not easy to be married to. I am not easy to be married to. You are, not, you are probably the hardest person you'll ever lead. Have you thought of that when you complain about other people on your team? Thought about that when you complain about your spouse? When you complain about your kids? What about the progress you're not making? What about the, what about the goals that you're telling yourself that I'm going to set and then you don't do? So stop worrying about leading others and start worrying about leading yourself. You guys okay with that? Let's go, somebody. Let's go. My goodness. I want to share. So listen, this is why we're the hardest people to lead is because we often, we know what great leaders should do, but we often choose what's easy over what's right. That's our MO as people. If you're wondering, it's not just you. If you're hard on yourself, have grace for yourself. I'll tell you that right now. All right, that's how we can imitate Christ. We can have grace for ourselves, everybody. But you have to know that you're hard to lead because we already know what to do. We're just not doing it. Let me give you some examples. The temptations of everyday life. That darn alarm clock. I'm telling you, Sunday nights, my wife has probably heard this a million times. Sunday, you can think of me however you want after this sentence. But I get all excited. I'm like, babe, God has finally spoken to me. Our life is going to change. Our marriage is going to get even better. Um, we're going to have 19 more kids tomorrow. Like things are just, things are exploding because, babe, I'm going to get up tomorrow. I'm going to get up at 430. I'm going to get up at 430. I'm going to go for a jog. I'm going to run around the block. And I'm gonna, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna shower, and then I'm gonna read God's word for like an hour. That's what I'm gonna do because He's spoken to me. And then that alarm clock goes off, and you hit snooze, literally. And I sleep until I just have to get up for work because I have a, I have a spiritual gift of getting to work in seven minutes from the bed to the cubicle. Spiritual gift. Anybody else? Anyone else? Super good at that. Great. I feel you, sister. Like it is a gift of mine. All right. That's a real example. Listen. How about I know after work I need to exercise? I think about it all day. I know exactly what I'm going to do. A couple body weight stuff. I don't go to the gym, but I'm like, I shower every day. So I might as well just, I might as well break a sweat and, you know, and, and, and lift a few things. I have the game plan. And then I, I go home thinking about the game plan all day. And I watch three episodes of All American on Netflix. That's it. That's like, what? It's a great show, by the way. <laughs> Here's my favorite. I'll leave, I'll leave you with this last one for just kind of these everyday temptations. How many people, I cannot be the only one, you don't have salad often, but when you do, you realize how good it is. Is that a real thing? Every time I have a salad, I'm like, what's my problem? This is awesome. Framingham, do you guys like salads? Tri-County? Online, you might be eating a salad right now. That would be great. 
So this is what happens. On the ride to dinner, I'm telling my bride that I'm gonna, I can't wait to get the salad. Like, this is going to be awesome. I'm turning the corner. And I swear to the Lord of Heaven's armies, the only thing on the menu are truffle fries. That's it. So I'm like, God, I, I said I was going to get a salad, but it's not even on here. Turn the page, idiotes. Turn the page. Everyday examples. Now let's convert this to our job or our ministry or our team, our family, our friendships. We should listen more, uh, but when we get in a meeting or conversation, we do all the talking. Like we choose what's easy over what's right. We should empower others, but we end up doing all the work ourselves. We know what's easy. Uh, we know what's right, but we choose what's easy. That's what's stopping us from being a great leader. We choose what's easy over what's right, and it damages our leadership. It puts a lid on our leadership. And so we need to flip the script. And that's what starts today. That's why you're going to take the notes here, you're going to bring it to prayer, and you're going to wake up a different person. Because we have to start making progress. What specific trait, this is what you're going to ask yourself, what specific trait do you need to develop in your leadership? And I want you to write this down. If you're not sure what that is, this next question is going to get it to you. What aspect of you are you tired of? Write that down for me. In your phones, on paper. What aspect of you are you tired of? Now, you probably hate me because you just thought of like 12 things. And that's okay. Because I got a lot of things too. But we're going to pick one. That's what your homework is. You're going to write a few of those things down. And we're going to pick one aspect one trait of your leadership you're going to develop, one aspect of you that you're tired of. And you're going to say, this is exactly what I want to grow in. Because I'll tell you what, you cannot develop a skill that you don't define. I'll say that again. You cannot develop a skill that you don't define. You want to get better at something, you have to define it. Here's some, a couple quick examples just to stimulate your thinking. You lack discipline. You want to develop your discipline. That's awesome. Not specific enough. What do you want to develop your discipline in? Visiting Nana? That's one of mine. Like, I haven't seen her much since COVID, so like, I want to develop a discipline. I want to visit Nana more often. I want to plan my days, my week, my exercise. What is that for you? Don't just be vague. That's going to hurt what God has for you. Here's another example. I, I want to grow in consistency. Great. Being consistent at what? That's part of our problem is we're too vague. And so we don't even know what we want to work on. You have to de define what you want to develop. So you're going to take that area, whether you get it tonight, tomorrow, the next couple of days, you're going to write down one sentence or one word of what you want to improve. You're going to communicate that to your core team. It could be your spouse or wherever, wherever God has you operating as a leader, your children, whatever you choose to focus on next, write it down and you're going to ask them for correction and affirmation in those areas. That one area actually. And then you're going to follow up. And guess what? You're going to check that thing off in a couple of weeks because we have to stop making excuses and we have to start making progress as leaders. You guys good? Yeah. We have to stop. We, not you. I have so much work to do in this area. We have to stop making excuses and start making progress. It's going to come with discipline and intentionality. You cannot lead others if you cannot lead yourself. Now we're going to determine our inputs. So we've developed a leadership identity. We've defined a leadership initiative, a game plan, and now we're going to determine our inputs. Because here's the truth. We all experience less than desirable outcomes. We just talked about it. Hitting the gym, truffle fries, whatever it is. 
less to desirable outcomes. Alarm clocks, snooze, not visiting God as much as you want to. Like what? We're all experiencing less than desirable outcomes, and it's because we have less than desirable inputs. What you are choosing to consume is hurting your leadership. What you consume. So I want to talk to you guys about what you consume. I want to talk to you about what you attempt. That's going, to be, that's going to be new for some people. And then who you spend your time with. Those are all vital to your leadership development. Now here's the toughest part is most of you, uh, this won't be new. Why is that so hard, Cliff? Because you'll think it's great that you're, you're hearing something that you already know, but guess what? You haven't made progress since the last time you heard it. Yeah. That's, what I, that's, that's what God wants to do to you today. Is he really wants to start seeing progress in your leadership. So if this isn't new, have grace for yourself. But no, I could have done better. I could be in a better spot. But you know what? From today forward, I'm going to be. Because I'm done making excuses for myself and my leadership. I am a leader. I'm going to have a game plan. And I'm going to execute that game plan. Most of us are on a junk food diet for our souls. Every single one of us. And so what, what would happen if you swapped your iPhones with somebody next to you? They checked your history. They went in the settings area, and they, they checked the percentages that you're on your phone all day. Social media, Netflix, whatever it is. Now, lucky you, we're not going to do that today. You get to keep your phones with you. But you get to ask yourself, what are you watching, and what are you listening to, and what are you scrolling through that is not helping you grow in your leadership? Because we, we allow distractions and we justify them. Now, listen, watch Netflix. That's not what I'm saying. Use social media. But use it as part of a rest plan, not a growth plan. My wife's a nutritionist. I know full well carbs and candy are not going to give me the physique that she wants. It ain't happening. <laughs> but that means I know that empty entertainment and negative distractions are not going to give me the leadership that I want. And in 2022, there is no excuse for not being able to consume. So you have to know that if you consume junk, we are going to have junk leadership. I told you, so it's on you now. Let's talk about what you attempt. Let's talk about what you attempt. Uh, you don't grow by doing what you did. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but that's not how you grow. You grow by doing more of what you already did or by doing something different than what you normally do. That might have been a little head scratcher there. Let me break it down. You grow when you try new things, both inside your leadership and outside. Here's an example. I'm, I do sales and project management for a landscape company. And I just, every year I choose to get in over my head on a couple projects that I could and should send off to another rep because I want to grow in that area. I, I've never done an Asian-inspired Zen garden. And I went, the, the message at the office said landscape project. I'm like, oh, I can do this. And they wanted a Zen garden. I had no idea what I was doing. I met with the customers, and guess what? I got to study up on Zen gardens. It took a few weeks. We gave them something that they love, that they're going to enjoy for a long time. And so I got in over my head. I, try, I attempted something new, and I increased my humility. I got comfortable being uncomfortable, and I built my confidence that I'm always growing. Because as a leader, you need to always be growing and developing. And here's another example outside of your leadership is I went mountain biking a couple weeks ago with Travis Baker, part of the, the Framingham family over there. And I, don't, I didn't want to go mountain biking. I don't know how to mountain bike. I wanted to get to know Travis. And so I went there. And uh, my, the, only, the only rules were you need to wear a helmet. And we get to the parking lot, and I got to tell him. I told my wife last night, so I didn't have to tell her in front of everybody, but we literally did not wear helmets. Like, he didn't bring them, nothing we could do. But this is what happened 
is I had to listen to somebody new. I had to follow, not lead. And then Travis would tell me what to do, and he'd get 200 feet around a corner, and I'm all alone. And now I have to apply what he's taught me. And what did that do? Learning something new outside of my leadership, it increased humility. It got me comfortable being uncomfortable. And it built confidence that I'm always growing. You need to try new things outside of your comfort zone. If I could have the keys come up and play, I want to go through this last point is who you surround yourself with. I think as a church, we do a great job with relationships. You've heard this before. If you've been here for any length of time, you are the average of your closest five friends. P. Devin and P.D. say this, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If you want to grow as a leader, wherever you are, you need to surround yourself with leaders who are better than you, smarter than you, wiser than you, and more experienced than you. How about that CLA plug, by the way? Connect Leadership Academy. Can I have a hand up at every location? Who has been through Connect Leadership Academy? Now look around the room. Those are your leaders. Those are the smartest. Those are the wise. No, listen. They might. Maybe they are. But I'll tell you what is that they do know they're a leader, that they're, they've created a game plan to be a leader because of CLA. They have a growth strategy to be a better leader, and they've created disciplines in their life to get there because of CLA. Psalms 1, verse 1 through 3. God had me memorize years ago. Um, I say it to myself all the time, and it is probably one of the strongest verses we have on relationships, who to spend your time with. It says, blessed are those who do not stand with the wicked, sit with the scoffers, or walk with the mockers, but they love the Lord, they love the law of the Lord, and they meditate on it day and night. It says that they will be like trees planted by the riverside, They'll bear, they, they're going to bear fruit in every season. Their leaves will never wither, and they will prosper in everything that they do. So you spend your time with the right people. You spend your time with God. Your leadership will flourish. If I could have the worship team come up, I just want to share with you guys this, this last thought, and then I'm going to send it off to the campuses. If we would impact the world as Jesus did, servanthood, service, humility, then we have to lead in the way that he demonstrated. John 14, 12 promises us the ability to accomplish even greater things than he did here. And so if he accomplished so much in three years, what are the possibilities that lie dormant waiting for your leadership? Ask yourself that. And at this time, I just want to send it over to the leaders at Tri-County, the leaders in Framingham, allow them to minister to you in Jesus' name. And I want to talk to everybody here. If I could ask you to just to close your eyes, bow your head. Why don't you get into that intimate space? And if you know the Lord, if you could just open your heart up in prayer for what we're about to say right now. Because we have this opportunity every single Sunday. And we just got to learn about leadership, Jesus' way, servanthood. And maybe you don't know Jesus, but you like what you heard. I want to share some other things about him now. That he loves you so much that he died for you. Well, what does that mean? We were all born physically alive, but we were born spiritually dead. I know how that sounds, but just keep listening. 
And then there came a point, there needs to come a point in your life where you become spiritually alive. The Bible refers to that as being born again. That's simply saying yes to Jesus. That's simply saying that I am not enough, that I can't do it. And when you're born spiritually dead, the Bible says that you're separated from God. And when you say yes to Jesus, you're brought back in right relationship with him because Jesus took the death that you deserved. God's word says he came to bring life and life abundantly. And we focus on that second part a lot. Abundant life. It's awesome. And let me tell you, it is. But for some of you here, you have to focus on that first life first. And you have to say yes to him right now. John 3.16 should be familiar to you. If it isn't, I want to say it. That God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That those who believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And with every head bowed and eye closed, I want to ask you right now. Do you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior here this morning? And if you do, I just want to ask you to put your hand up and say that I'm ready to make him Lord and Savior of my life. Yes, yes, Jesus' name. Maybe you did commit your life years ago. Yes, yes, I see you both, in Jesus' name. Maybe you did this a long time ago, but you need to recommit your life. I want to open this up for you as well to say, Jesus, I'm back. You've never left, but I'm back. Yes, Jesus. This is the best decision you'll ever make. And guess what we get to do now? As a family, we're going to pray so our new brothers and sisters aren't going to pray alone. And then we're going to come alongside our new brothers and sisters. And we're going to do life with them. And so if you guys could pray this prayer with me, some of you for the first time, just say, Heavenly Father, come into my life. Today, I make you my Lord and Savior. Today, you take full control. I trust you. I love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Can we celebrate those, those hands and those hearts that were changed today? And can we continue to give God the glory? Can we rise to our feet and worship him one last time today? In Jesus' name.